0: Welcome back to another edition of Stefan and Friends, a solo edition of Stefan and Friends, as they sort of have been uh, to start off this this experiment. Um, welcome, 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 welcome. We are in the week uh, or this past Sunday was Pentecost Sunday. A very important day for us as believers even more important for us as pentecostals and that was and that's the day the holy spirit fell on the disciples acts chapter 2 right such a an important time and it's a time that we look back on it's a time that we we actually want to see again we we want to see again and you know when we bring it into modern times, right? 1908, Azusa Street. Those are times that we want to see again. Times that we want to see again in our churches and in our countries. So I'm, I'm, I love that. I love Pentecost Sunday. I love Pentecostal theology. I love what it stands for. You might be wondering, well, what does it stand for? Well, I'll tell you. We're going to talk about that a little bit today on this episode of Stefan and Friends. Uh, But before I do that, hey, make sure you're liking, you're sharing, you're subscribing. And don't just like, share, and subscribe. But if I say something stupid or if I say something that you like, hey, that sounded wrong. If you feel the need to challenge me, please challenge. In fact, not only challenge, call me out. In fact, not only call me out, but tell me. Why I'm wrong. And let's discuss it. Of course, you're going to have to discuss it on a microphone with me. But I'm here for that. I think we need to do that. I think we need to have these conversations. And sometimes I'm going to get it wrong. Not all the time. However, um, I think that we need, to, we need to talk about it. Anyway. So, Pentecost Sunday. We are looking, loving the fact that the Holy Spirit is poured out on people. Azusa Street, looking, loving the fact that the Holy Spirit is poured out on, on people. And today, this topic uh, I want to broach is the topic of race and ministry and how we respond to it as leaders, part of a fellowship that claims to be Pentecostal, and how that plays out. How that plays out in our processes. How does that play out in, you know, whatever. I remember being in Bible college and this was like, you know, if you are not black, because I can only give you a black perspective. But if you're not black, let me let me try to paint this picture for you. You know, when you walk into a room, you walk into a building, you walk into an event or something and. You look around And you're just like, I just need one familiar face. One familiar face. Oh, I don't see any. And then you find them or you find one face and you just sort of like you stick together. That's sort of what it felt like when I, when I got to Bible college. Um, there, now there weren't, wasn't just one familiar face. There were a few familiar faces. Um, But, yeah, I that was a bit of a interesting thing for me because you you hear the stories (laughs) and then you get there and you're like, oh, okay, this is true. And then. Right. Like, those are your people. Those are the people you vibe with. Those are the people that you're you're always going to be hanging out with. Those are your people. It's just a it's just the way things are. I don't know. It's just how we, that's how we assimilate is you find the familiar face. And I think that's, see, now it moves beyond the racial part to just humanity is you find the familiar face and you assimilate and that's your in. M- am I wrong? If I'm wrong, you can call me out on it. Feel feel. Don't feel anyways. But then we have to go out from this Bible college and go out into, uh, you know, go out into the real world or into the real ministry. And that's where I think we have a, a bit of an issue. That's where I think we have a bit of a problem. I sat in a meeting last year, a couple of years ago, where we talked about the fact that we need more leaders, more black leaders in our, in our, at that time it was a district. And I was like, okay, cool, but don't play me lip service. Because I think that, A lot of people pay a lot of lip service to these things. They don't really want the action because the action is the hard part. The action is like, okay, now you got to to do something. And people aren't willing to do that. Not willing. They just don't. It's work. It's tough. It's hard. And so I was thinking about that. And as I was preparing for this conversation, this episode, I think there are a couple of things that... That when we talk about race in ministry and or race and ministry, the first thing is this. When we're talking about this, people shouldn't be offended. We're not saying that people are racist. I think what happens in this conversation a lot of the time is that people, white people, are are get offended really quickly because they think that we're calling them racist when we're not. Now, don't get me wrong. Do I think that there might be a couple of racist people? Sure. But, I'm, but when we have this conversation, I find the white people, and again, I'm not generalizing all white people. I, I like I, I want to shout out all the the white people that I know are like not going to be defensive because they're not. they recognize that it's a conversation, not necessarily the fact that we're saying you're racist. but um, we're not calling people racist. And there might be people who are, but like that's not that's not a lot of people. I think that the conversation, in order for it to be a real conversation, conversation real genuine uh, conversation, the, that's the first place. Nobody is saying you're racist. But what we are saying is this. There is an issue of, of race here. There's an issue where people are not held to be in the same class. People are not treated equal. In fact, let me read for, uh, read for you a couple of strategies um, from the PCCNA uh, that has been drawn out of uh, the, the Holy Spirit to Memphis from October 94. Uh, There's a desire to, to heal racial divides in the assemblies of God, desire to, to bring a wholeness. Now there's there's a lot here, that, so I'm not gonna read all of the manifesto to you. But watch watch number two point two says this: I'm committed personally to treat those in the fellowship who are not of my race or ethnicity, regardless of color, with love and respect as my sisters and brothers in Christ. And I'm further committed to work against all forms of personal and institutional racism, including those which are revealed within the very structures of our environment. That's something that we can all commit to. I wonder how many of us, though. And I, I, like, I truly wonder how many of us perpetuate the same structures that uphold some of the the racist mistreatment of people. What about this one? Another point. Together we will work to affirm one another's strengths and acknowledge our own weaknesses and inadequacies, recognizing that all of us only see in a mirror dimly what God desires to do in this world. Together we affirm the wholeness of the body of Christ as fully inclusive of Christians regardless of color. We therefore commit ourselves to love one another with mutual affection, outdoing one another in showing honor. imagine if we did that you see my my problem my issue my thing with with a lot of what we do in our churches or better yet from a leadership perspective in our fellowship is that that we don't actually do that and if I can be blunt we, we actually we go the extra mile to do the opposite I I've heard of conversations even about me where people have been like where people have said some pretty nasty stuff and you're like okay hold on you're you're actually saying this stuff publicly that isn't true but you're saying it now would you say that about someone that was white would you say that about someone that that you know was the same skin color as you no you I don't think you see that and that's where that's where we get the conversation like this It's not that someone's racist it's that you're racially ignorant People love to think that things are equal and they're not i I you know we a lot of people live in fantasy land. A lot of people live in a world where they are and I, I don't like to say privileged. I don't like to I don't like to say privileged. Privileged I, I like I get I get what it means. Here's a better way to explain it or explain my thought on if you've never faced any sort of adversity, if you've never faced any sort of like toughness, then you won't understand where people are coming from. it's like the person that tries to tell you you know oh man the flu the flu couldn't be that bad but they've never had the flu but when you're in it when you've had the flu man some it can knock you out see i believe that in ministry and specifically in my context in this fellowship We need to do a better job of recognizing the past in order to make the future better. I like this one from the manifesto. We pledge that we will return to our various constituencies and appeal to them for logistical support and intervention as necessary in opposing racism. Watch this part here. This part. This part. This part blows my mind that they would even... Agree to this, but says we will seek partnerships and exchange pulpits with persons of a different hue, not in a paternalistic sense, but in the spirit of our blessed Lord, who prayed that we might be one. Imagine the fact that they were willing to go so far when they drafted this document. To say something like the fact we're going to go out and find people of a different color skin color to be on our pulpits see my biggest rant not my biggest but one of the things that i've gotten in trouble over and trouble is not you know oh you're in trouble we're taking away your credentials but just trouble over is the fact that i i i love to point out the fact that hey we we have a conference and all the speakers are white because the pulpit is, is 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 leadership. The pulpit represents power. The pulpit represents a, a a real statement that says, "Hey, this person is authorized to preach the word." And if we aren't allowing—and I will say allowing—people of different skin colors to to preach from the pulpit, what does that say? Now, I say all that reminding you all that I get to preach uh, somewhat regularly from my church's pulpit. But I I look at our bigger stages. I look at our our conferences. What are we showing? And if we're not modeling it for our leaders, will our leaders model it for the people in our congregations? Because ultimately, in our search committees, in our steering committees, in our pulpit committees, you know, when, whenever we have to find a new pastor, in our other committees, our boards or whatnot, they will go back to what they are used to. And if they're used to seeing white faces on a regular basis, so they're used to seeing the fact that only a white person is elevated to such a level, guess what they're going to continue to go for? Them. I've spent years... Uh, creating a resume and putting in work. Probably outworking, probably doing more work than I need to do. Just to prepare for the opportunity to lead courses and this and that. But it really will mean nothing. It's really a waste of time if not given the opportunity. And so, from a black person's perspective, it's a bit—it's a bit discouraging, especially in a fellowship where we are Pentecostal. Especially in a fellowship where we—we we talk about we want more of the Holy Spirit. We talk about we want—we want to see more lives change. We want to do this, and we want to do that, and we want the Lord to bless it. But how can the Lord bless it? How can the Lord utilize us if we are still living with a sense of of hey, no, it's got to be this person because that's that's the quote unquote white fit. See what I did there, right? Like, how do we how do we move forward? How do we celebrate the Day of Pentecost when when you know there are so many different faces in the room? The Holy Spirit touched on everybody. How do we look back on Azusa Street and recognize, ah, man, Azusa Street was actually led by William Seymour, a black man. But here we are in a fellowship, in 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 the in a denomination where i can count on one hand the amount of black pastors in lead pastors the amount of lead black lead pastors in the gta how is that possible what have we done what are we doing I said this already full disclosure I do get to work with our general superintendent and a few others on resolving some of these issues but I think it needs to go a step further and, and hopefully we'll get some of that that done but man it can be super discouraging I, I don't know if people really I don't want to say care. I don't know if people really understand because nobody wants to sit down and talk to people about these things. Nobody wants to hear Nah, You know what this eh, this fellowship is hopeless. Nobody wants to hear. I don't have hope for for what's to come in this place. But I have I've heard those I've heard those comments. I've heard people say they have no hope. And you guys have have heard me say, I think it's in one of the first episodes. I I don't know, do I want my daughter to go into something like this? Let me read um. Let me read another point from A Reconciliation Strategy for the 21st Century Ministry. We openly confess our shortcomings and our participation in the sin of racism by our silence, denial, and blindness. We admit the harm it has brought to generations, born and unborn. We strongly contend that the past does not always completely determine the future. New horizons are emerging. God wants to do a new thing through his people. When I look at that one, there are three specific words that if i could like that to me those three words the three words i'm going to bring up are legitimately the three things that i think tick a lot of people off the most especially people of color but because these three things are are legitimately the most frustrating things it's silence it's denial and it's blindness And if I could be honest, if I could be blunt, if I could drop a hot take, a lot of white leaders operate in silence, denial, and blindness. It's the fact that, oh, we see these things happening, but we're not going to say anything. It's the, ah, that's not possible. That's not true. These things can't be, these structures can't be racist, or these structures can't be, uh, you know, these structures can't be institutional racism. And then there's the blindness. Nope, I don't see it. I don't see it. I don't understand it. it. doesn't happen. And these are the three things that I think tick me off the most when it comes to race and ministry is because a lot of the people who lead, a lot of the people that we that we put in positions, they operate very well in silence, denial, and blindness. And as someone who's been a part of this fellowship for, for the last 15, 14 years of my life, as someone whose parents have been going to PAOC churches for the last 30 years. I'm reminded of the fact that, you know, when I started Bible college, and even beyond that, you know, regular conversations with my mom, I'm reminded you're not the same as everybody here. You're not the same as everybody in this fellowship. You're black. You're a person of color. People will operate quietly. They will deny, and they will turn to blind eye when you are done wrong, by. And that's not just me saying, that's not angry Stefan saying it. That's coming from the lips of someone who's been going to churches for 30 years in the fellowship, who's seen good people of color as leaders come and go. We have a lot of people who, who, who trade in, in, in silence, blindness, and denial. Those are the people that lead us. Those are the people that are on the platforms. Those are the people that are on the stages. Those are the people that lead our committees. Those are the people who make the decisions. As I mentioned earlier, I I make a lot of noise, especially when it comes to the platforms. I'm super thankful to serve on our, our youth district leadership team, and I'm super thankful... The district youth director makes it a point to make sure that our platforms aren't all white. I'm thankful that he takes the time to consider the fact that, you know, we're not going to operate silently. We're not going to deny We're not going to be blind. We're going to, we are going to confront these things head on. We are going to show our youth ministries and our youth pastors that there is a way forward, that things can be done in a manner in which everyone is represented. I remember when I, I've made some noise about what our stages have looked like and, you know, a comment that and I think I've shared it here or maybe I've shared it, I don't know where I've shared it, but a comment that, that sort of always comes back is, well, do we lessen the quality of the speaker just to get a, a person of color, which is which is kind of an ignorant response because basically what's being said is, oh, so we need to get a, a person of color who's not going to do as good of a job as a white person. That's basically what I take from it. Someone can correct me if I'm wrong. I just don't know how we think that that's okay. And, but I don't think on the flip side, I don't think that to take all people of color out of our fellowship and say, Hey, we're going to start something new. I don't think that's the right way. The right way has to be a part of this, this manifesto is that we're working together, right? Here's another point. We admit that there's no single solution to raci- racism in the fellowship. We pray and are open to tough love. Radical repentance with a deep sensitivity to the Holy Spirit as liberator. Let me read another point. We hereby commit ourselves not only to the task of making prophetic denouncement of racism in word and creed, but to live by acting in deed. We will fully support and encourage those among us who are attempting change. I think that this opening conversation, as helter-skelter as this conversation might be, because it's this is a tough one for me to talk about in a, such a nuanced and eloquent way because it's so dirty and grimy. And like I said before, it's not all white people. And to be honest, I don't think anybody's really racist. Racially ignorant, yes. Willfully, willfully blind, yes. Willfully silent, willfully denialistic. I don't even think denialistic is a word, but I'm making it up. Yes. And so it's those people we try to reach. It's those people we're like, hey, we're not saying you're racist, but what we're saying is these are some things that we see, and these are affecting your brothers and sisters, because the thing that we always love to do is we love to say we're a family. We love to say we're a fellowship, right? We're a family. And so if we're a family, let's treat each other like family. Let's care about the one family member or the two family members that are saying, I don't feel like a family. I think that that is our starting point. Is how do we bring people to a sense of equality? How do we bring people to a place where, yeah, you know what? I do feel accepted here. I don't have all the answers. I'm really here to spark the conversation. Participate in the conversation. Participate with people and walk this journey. I don't know... How we solve these things? How do we solve the problem of, of there being a lack of black leaders? Or lack of brown leaders or lack of Asian leaders? I don't know how we solve that problem. And I, I don't know how we answer the question of why there aren't that many. I know a few. I know of a lot of great leaders of color. A lot of great female leaders. But will they be welcomed in our fellowship? Will they be welcomed back in our fellowship? I want to stop short of saying I have no hope. Uh, But I think in some point in time, very shortly, someone's got to prove me wrong. Someone's got to show me Hey, we're actually working on this. and I don't just like show me. But I think uh, someone's got to start sitting at these tables and saying, no, we're actually going to do this. We're going to undertake the tough stuff to change some of these things and make it right. But. Because if we're going to continue to call ourselves Christians and Pentecostals and people of God, people of God doesn't mean just one race. At the beginning of the 20th century, the Azusa Street Mission was a model of preaching and living the gospel message in the world. We desire to drink deeply from the well of Pentecost as it was embodied in that mission. We therefore pledge our commitment to embrace the essential commitments of that mission in evangelism, mission, in justice and holiness, in spiritual renewal and empowerment and in the reconciliation of all Christians regardless of race or gender as we move into the new millennium. My opening thoughts on race and ministry... Part one, the solo edition, I guess. So we've got some work to do. And we've got some allies that need to step up. Our general superintendent of the PAOC, David Wells, he can't be the only ally. But trust me, he is. I talk with him. There's one person for sure. There's one of our leaders for sure. I guarantee you. I will guarantee he ain't racist. I can guarantee you that much. He's not racially ignorant. He's not blind. He's not silent. But I'm looking for the rest of y'all. I'm looking for other leaders. Not the black ones. Not the brown ones. Not the Asian ones. Looking for the other white leaders and I know there are a few I know there are some I don't want to give I don't want to shout out too many names Uh, but I but, but those of you who I text regularly I know you guys you you're not the people I'm talking to there are a lot of people out there though it's time for you to open your eyes it's time for you to stop denying. It's time for you to open your mouth. Let's work on this together. Because clearly, what I read from October 1994, not all of it has come to fruition in June, or sorry, May of 2023. And we can't expect to fix the decline in Christianity. We can't expect to fix the decline in Pentecostalism. We can't expect to fix the decline of, of, of Christians in the West. In North America, we can't expect to fix that decline if we keep going at it the same old, same old way we have been before. In our urban centers, we need more urban leaders. That's just a fact. So I don't know how that hits people, but it's the reality of it. The dominant culture is no longer white culture. The next generations are looking for more diversity. That's not to say, hey, let's get rid of all the white people. Let's say, hey, let's work together. I want to see laying down of pride. So that we can actually reach people for the gospel. Can I tell you something? I have some really cool people um, that I've grown up with. Some really cool people who care about my wife and I and Aaliyah Joy, who care about our family. And they're white. You see, because there are people who are white, who aren't racist, who aren't racially ignorant. There are people who are actually trying. And we need more of those people. This has been Stefan and friends. This is, uh, I don't know, episode four, episode five. Whatever episode it is, thanks for tuning in. I'm sorry. This is, listen, if this was helter skelter, I apologize so much. This is a huge topic. And I, I don't, like I said before, I don't want to come off as angry all the time. But I, I do, over the next few weeks, I'm going to bring in some more people to talk about this. And we can, uh, hopefully you'll get something out of those ones, just like you did with this one. So I was reading from the Racial Reconciliation Manifesto. Uh, it was drawn up in in uh, Memphis, Tennessee, October 1994, uh, PCCNA. And so uh, if you're looking for that, I will drop that um, on the sub stack, leave it in the show notes for you. And if you're looking for a couple of other documents, uh, if you want to know what the PCCNA is, I'll leave that information there for you as well. If you're interested in some of the work I'm a part of here in the PAOC, our racial justice uh, working group, I'll leave that for you as well. And as always, if you need to contact me, you know what to do it on Substack. Hit me up. you know what I mean, hit me there. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all of the things. TikTok. Run it. Uh, Talk to your boy. We're out here. Always looking forward to the conversation. Thank you for checking out this week's edition of Stefan and Friends. As always, like, share, subscribe. Send this conversation, send this episode to someone who needs to hear it. If you got pushback, y'all know how to hit me up. Send it. Let's talk about it. Peace out. The crazy thing about this conversation, and this is the postscript, this is the overtime, is that because of what's going on in our world, people have become more hesitant not to talk about it. People like to throw out, you know, oh, you're woke. It's not about being woke. First of all, you're using it wrong. You're using it as a pejorative, you idiot. It's not about being woke and stop stop using if you use woke as a pejorative stop it you have no idea It's not about being woke it's about being Christians it's about treating people equally it's about saying hey we actually value you as a leader it's about hey we don't just you know want your talent we actually want your mind as well I read a lot of books. Maybe I have to overcompensate because I am black. And so I'm always trying to read just to be a better leader, father, husband, right? Like all these things, better Christian. And I know, here's what I know. Sad to say, I know that I could have, and I do have, and I have had just the better resumes, the better everything. Um, But hey, Skin color isn't the right color. And so it's that that we're trying to fight against. And that's not even talking about in our churches. That's talking about on that next level, right? Like I'm talking about on our leadership stages for leaders. So, yeah, I don't know.